Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower King, a podcast where we discuss the characters and connections in the ever-expanding universe that revolves around Stephen King's Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McCurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. And you can buy merch at store.twoguystothedarktowercane.com. In this episode, we'll finish our coverage of Christine, covering chapters 48 through 51 and the epilogue. Let's start the show. Lee and Dennis put their plan to destroy Christine in motion. Dennis antagonizes Arnie slash Roland LeBay. Arnie heads out of town with his mom on a college visit, which provides an alibi should Christine kill anyone. Dennis rents a septic tanker truck and lures Christine to Darnell's garage. Before he can put his plan in action, Dennis re-injures his leg, and Lee is almost killed by Christine, but they are able to destroy Christine, while at the same time, Arnie and his mother are killed on the freeway, which Dennis believes is the result of Arnie fighting LeBay's spirit. In the epilogue, we learn that Dennis and Lee have gone their separate ways, and the last of Buddy Repperton's gang is killed in a mysterious car accident. It is very mysterious. Very mysterious. In one of those uh, endings, we don't see the hand come out of the grave, but we read a newspaper article about a car killing somebody in a very odd manner. And that's not the only way the story ends. The story really sort of ends in tragedy, much as we were told in the very first page of the book when when Dennis, Dennis said, said so, right? <laughs> yeah, this is a tragedy, and it turns out he was right. It is a tragedy. Yeah. Um, and I guess the tragedy is for Dennis in that he loses his best friend, Arnie. Right. Well, certainly from Dennis's perspective, that's the case. Yeah. A lot of other people died, all of them, except maybe Darnell, innocent. And I don't even think Darnell deserved to be murdered for his crimes. So those are tragic things too. Yeah. But the Greek play definition of tragedy here is Dennis's loss of his friend. Yeah, and it's odd because he really loses him before he dies. Mm -hmm. They have that confrontation in the school parking lot, and that's when Dennis realizes that Arnie has lost to him, that LeBay has taken him over. And yet he puts this sort of nice little spin on in the end when he finds out how Arnie dies, which is off screen in a car accident that we hear about third hand, I guess, from a, a cop who tells Dennis while he's in the hospital that that Arnie died in a one-car accident, and it seems sort of weird, but Dennis says, okay, well, he was probably fighting off LeBay's spirit. That's the only thing that makes sense, and so maybe he was doing it heroically after all. So, But he, he had actually lost Arnie earlier on um, through that series of events that culminates in that sort of dramatic scene in the parking lot. Yeah. I think Dennis's tragedy in the loss of Arnie is made all the more poignant by the fact that the two... Dennis and Arnie, that is, meant so much to each other. They were the closest of friends for their entire lives, mm. from earliest childhood until the conclusion of the story in the book. They were inseparable. They did everything together. They had sleepovers. They basically shared each other's families. They were like kind of raised by each other's parents. And they did all sorts of stuff, like make ant farms. I don't know, that seemed to be Dennis's most common reference. Yeah. That's the guy I made ant farms with. But Dennis reflects that there had been times when I'd wondered if my life wouldn't be easier, better, if I simply let Arnie go. Let him drown, but it wouldn't have been better. I had needed Arnie to make me better, 
and he had. We had traded fair all the way down the line. And I don't know that the book really puts on the page how Dennis is made better by Arnie or how Arnie is made better by Dennis, but Dennis is telling us that they both were better versions of themselves because the other person was in their lives. And I think that's true. I think there's enough evidence in the book to validate that statement. So now Dennis doesn't have Arnie there to help him be a better version of himself. And that is tragic. Yeah, I'll agree with you that I don't know if there's quite enough on the page that shows us how they're both made better along the way. But the earnestness in which Dennis talks about it makes me think he at least believes that. So who am I to doubt it if I don't see a lot of that on the page? And you know, ultimately, I don't know if, if it is better because Arnie and his whole family die, as do a number of other people. And we don't know if that would have happened if they had been friends or not been friends. There's an argument to made that maybe if they weren't friends, Dennis wouldn't have been driving around Arnie when he saw Christine. And so maybe this all wouldn't have happened. But um, having been somebody who was closer on the on the friend level of Arnie than I was Dennis, I could see how Arnie hanging out with Dennis would sort of give him a leg up in school mm-hmm. and having that protection and somebody who 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 is a friend to him versus not. I don't know how much Arnie did for Dennis, but like I said, let's believe him because why would he lie about that? Yeah. We've had debates in earlier episodes about how reliable of a narrator is Dennis, and then there's a whole section of the book that isn't even his words, but somehow he knows that that's what we are reading. Um, But if we're going to start questioning the veracity of every word that Dennis puts on the page, this whole book just flies apart. So let's just reel all of that speculation in and just take Dennis at his word that Arnie made him a better person. And he helped Arnie to be a better version of himself. Yep. And just acknowledge that that's over now. Arnie's dead. Arnie's family's dead. And Dennis no longer has his surrogate family and his best friend. Right. And not only that, he doesn't even end up with the girl after all this, right? Yeah. Part of the reason that they break apart Dennis and Arnie is that Lee comes between them, that Lee has moved on from Arnie and and to Dennis and Arnie catches them uh, kissing and and feels betrayed, and some might say rightfully so. And Dennis and Lee, we learn in the episode- They were on a break. (laughs) Dennis and Lee are together, and we learn in the epilogue that they stayed together for some time after that, even I think going to college, right? They they spent a a couple of years together, but they eventually drift apart. And it's because of the events, the trauma that they've gone through with Christine and Arnie and- um, there's this great line that you and I both noted where Dennis says, we drifted apart. A secret needs two faces to bounce between. A secret needs to see itself in another pair of eyes. And the secret that they had was too much for either one of them. Mm-hmm. And whenever they saw each other and they had no one else to talk about it with, it brought back all those memories. And so eventually they fade apart and she gets married and has a kid. And it's a very eventful four years for Lee after this whole thing with Christine. Um and they continue to talk, but even when they talk, she seems to not even remember. So another tragedy in the story. Yeah, it really is tragic that these two people are, in some ways, the only ones left at the end of this story. And they loved each other, and they did everything they could to try to protect themselves and each other from what Christine was trying to do. And they won out in the end. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't they get to enjoy the the fruits of that labor, right? And be together. 
But as you were saying before, they remind each other of all of the horror that they just lived through because of Christine. So it's, I think King is being really realistic here. Uh, I think it would be very difficult to maintain a relationship with somebody who reminded you of the most horrible experience of your life. Yeah. As if, as if high school romances aren't hard enough to, to keep anyways, right? Mm-hmm. But you get this sense when they're together waiting for the final showdown with Christine and she takes her hair ribbon and ties it around his arm and says, be my knight, Dennis. Like, oh, this is going to be like some, I think they, they say like King Arthur at some point, right? Like this is a, mm. a, a classic romance and it ends up not being that way at all. It, it hits real life and then real life is too much for it. Yep. Started out like Romeo and Juliet and ended in tragedy. Truer words have not been spoken. All right. Well, we've talked about this on every episode potentially of this uh, book, if not, if not all of them, just about all of them. We sort of figure out the LeBay resolution here, but I don't know if it's still totally clear. And in fact, I don't even know if if Dennis quite understands what's going on either. Um, but do we have a resolution to to this LeBay situation? Is it LeBay? Is it Christine? Is it both? Is it neither? What's going on? I. <laughs> that, that, that's that's my answer. A loaded question if there ever was one. Yeah. I would be able to come down easily on the side of LeBay and Christine existed together for many years and became like this unified spirit, like a demon. And all of the magic and evil was kind of concentrated into the car when LeBay died. Except that things that were supernatural happened long before LeBay died. They happened to his child, they happened to his wife, and they happened to his drinking buddies like who played a trick on him and one of them lost a finger because somehow Christine had four-wheel drive in that moment. <laughs> yeah. This was long before Christine was able to magically repair herself or had an odometer that ran backwards as far as we know. Uh, this is before LeBay's family died. So it was before like LeBay sacrificed his daughter to the the evil gods that maybe possessed the car like this thing i can just go around and around on this like well maybe this is the explanation but this other thing cancels that out and maybe this other thing's the explanation but the other thing cancels it out so i end up just just like playing hopscotch with the various resolutions that explain how LeBay and christine and the supernatural click together so i kind of feel like no this book doesn't settle the matter and that confrontation when Dennis challenges Arnie and purposely tries to draw LeBay out in the school parking lot, Arnie comes out for a second and he says, like, I can't help it. Sometimes I feel like I'm not even here anymore. Help me, Dennis, help me. Then like LeBay just kind of comes crashing back and it's just like all LeBay and like he, Arnie doesn't even look like Arnie anymore. Right. So at that point, I'm wondering, is it the ghost of LeBay doing all of this? Is LeBay haunting the car and taking over Arnie's physical form so that eventually there'll be no Arnie left. It'll just be LeBay in a young man's body and driving around in his favorite car. And and why? Yeah. And, and like, why does he do that? Just so he could live on, I guess? Me? I, I, that, that doesn't make sense. And Dennis and Lee theorize, and I think he says it to LeBay at some point, like the ghost of LeBay, like, I think if we destroy Christine, you'll be destroyed too. Like that's his working theory, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to destroy Christine and you're not going to live. You'll dissipate. You'll be haunted no more because the car is what's keeping you here. And so once I 
destroy the car. That's what's going to do it. And then when they destroy Christine, Dennis theorizes that the reason that Arnie is in this accident is that the spirit had nowhere else to go. So it had to leave Christine and go try to get into Arnie's body. And when Arnie fought it off and caused the car accident, then poof, LeBay's ghost is gone, I guess. But then we get this epilogue where Christine, as a hunk of metal, takes a bite out of a cop who's moving this chunk of metal. And then we get this potential foreshadowing that that Christine is going to come back to life and is killing people. I, I think you're getting a little bit ahead of, of ourselves <laughs> here, but this LeBay resolution continues to be contradictory. Like Dennis uh, says to LeBay through Arnie, whatever filthy kind of life you still have is all wrapped up in that car. You knew it and you plan to use Arnie from the very beginning. And that means that LeBay knew before he died that Christine was like, magical or mm. evil or something to some sort of like i don't know medium to transport his spirit after he died into like another person so that he could go on living and go on hating yeah but that doesn't really hold water either because i don't think lebay knew this even if you accommodate the animal intuition that lebay seems to operate on we get that from his brother I still don't get how that really works or why it would work. Is it just that LeBay's so old and frail that he will eventually die anyway? It just all seems too convenient. And then finally, there's the fact that it seems that when Christine rolled by herself, LeBay couldn't be in two places at the same time. That was beyond even his power. So to me, that says this is 100% LeBay. The car has no powers without the ghost of LeBay at all. Yep. If LeBay is like in Arnie, then he's not in Christine, and therefore Christine is just an inert regular car. But that doesn't always seem to be true either. No. Man, it's just the problem I'm trying to do here is I'm this is a <laughs> this is a story that is just it's just a story about a haunted car that kills people. And I'm trying to apply like hard science fiction rules, or at least if this is a fantasy story, some consistency to the magic. And I don't think it has anything that approaches consistency and it's making me frustrated. Yeah, and I think I wouldn't be as frustrated if King through Dennis isn't trying to apply logic on top of it. Mm -hmm. Because Dennis is articulating this, right? He says like I don't think you could be in both places at once. I think if we get rid of Christine we'll get rid of you. So like he's trying to put these rules around it and maybe that's the mistake that we're having is that we shouldn't believe what what Dennis is saying and that there is no it is just fantasy. If you have to ask a question, a wizard did it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But to get back to what you were saying a moment ago, where I kind of cut you off about, is Christine really finished? I have my doubts here too. And in some ways, it's kind of fun. And in some ways, it's it's kind of cool to have that that last frame of the movie where the hand pokes out from the grave. It's like, ah, scared you. The scariness continues beyond the end of the story. <laughs> But can you ever beat a mechanical, magical car that can repair itself? And it repairs itself in ways that, are, that seem to go beyond science, right? It's not like the T-1000 getting dropped into <laughs> the molten steel at the end of T-2. Right. And then Arnold lowering himself into that same steel. Because like, okay, well, if you just melt them down, then there's nothing left. And therefore, they can't keep coming at you. They're, they are physically destroyed. Christine doesn't fix herself by turning back time, although sometimes it seems like that's the way it works. 
Christine doesn't fix herself by gathering the pieces and unbending them and pushing them back together, although sometimes that does seem like how it works. <laughs> there are times when there are just parts of Christine that just out of the ether reappear. Right. So if that's the case, you could crunch Christine down into the smallest, densest version of, of her and then melt her down into a block. And then I think she could just still like unbend and reform into a car. Like there's no limit to this. And I think unless you hurled her into the sun, Christine will never stop coming back. That's my interpretation anyway. No, and I think that that's correct because that's what we see in that final mm -hmm. scene where the, the tanker is bashing Christine up against the cinder block wall and the headlights are popping back on and pieces are rolling mm -hmm. across the, the garage and, and reattaching. And yet the whole reason that Arnie hurt his back is because he had to push the destroyed remains of Christine backwards mm -hmm. or forwards to get the odometer to start running backwards to, to heal itself. And right. it was a much more difficult road to hoe for, for Arnie to get her to even get even close to being fixed. Whereas here, it seems like it's just magically happening all at once. So again, it, it's too cool of an image to give up though, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Like oh, when yeah. you're reading it, I you're like, it. oh my, this is awesome. And you know, when we talk about the movie in our bonus episode, we're going to be like, oh, this is so cool. But when, mm -hmm. when you stop and spend any sort of time thinking about it, which may be the problem, and we'll probably talk a little bit about that in our final thoughts on the book. But yeah, if we're to believe what is happening at the end, then Dennis uh, should stay on the third floor of buildings, I think, for the rest of his life. And very sturdy buildings. Very, like that. very sturdy buildings, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And let me just kind of like cap what I've just been saying. Like, I have all this frustration in my tone because I love this book <laughs> and I love everything about like the imagery that you, that you mentioned and the way this works. I totally am picturing like a Roger Rabbit style cartoon car that the part that isn't squished by the big truck is just like pop, pop, pop. And it's totally fine. And there's just like, it's like half crushed and half perfect car. And it just keeps doing that. It's awesome. I love that idea. And and that the thing that can keep fixing itself wants to kill everybody. That's yeah. really scary, right? Yep. So now we've got an awesome idea and an awesome scary idea. These things click together so nicely. And it makes this book just a wonderfully fun thing to read. But I just wish the logic held together a little bit better. I mean, it's no different than Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger, is it? Yeah, I guess not. The dead slasher that keeps coming back for more can't be stopped. Mm -hmm. We only needed Donald Pleasance in this movie yelling, Christine, it can't be killed. She'll <laughs> never ending fury. Anyhow, we're going to get into Dark Tower Thinnies here, and there's a hell of a Dark Tower Thinny that we're going to get to that just jumped off the page at us. So let's get into it. All right. So I wrote in my notes, well, hot damn, because... When Dennis and Lee staged their final showdown with Christine, Dennis was reflecting on, I wonder how long I'll have to wait for this final showdown to happen. And he said, as it turned out, it ended the next day, Friday, the 19th of January. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I saw that right away and I underlined it. I was like, oh yeah, I finally got a Dark Tower Thinny because I think we've been a little bit sketchy on the last couple episodes. So it was nice to have this one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mine is much, much, much weaker. And that is that at one point, Arnie slash Roland LeBay makes a face and a sneer bloomed on his lips like a rancid rose. And as I've been taught by Jay, I always notice when a rose comes up because that's a potential Dark Tower Thinny. Absolutely. That's a good one. 
our next one is also one that we both noticed. And again, that, that showdown between Dennis and Arnie, King characterizes it as, we were like two reluctant gunslingers approaching each other. Gunslinger? Yeah. Yeah, that, there you go. Gunslinger. I'll allow it. I have one other thinny. And this one is kind of like King being prescient in describing his own real life future when he was hit by a van on June 19th, 1999. And this is Dennis talking about years after recovering from his football accident and then the re-injury facing down Christine. And he says, if you met me on the street, you wouldn't notice a limp. But if you walked with me four or five miles, I do at least three miles a day as a matter of course. That physical therapy stuff sticks. You'd notice me starting to pull to the right a little bit. Mm. Man, that is exactly what Stephen King does in his real life every day. He always goes for a walk. And that's what he was doing when he got hit by the van. And now he still goes for those walks because he needs to, to keep his leg limber. Yep. Thought it was kind of freaky. That is a good one. All right. Time for yucking it up. So my yucking it up is in Dennis's dream about Arnie's funeral, it's Roland D. LeBay in the casket instead of Arnie. And Dennis recalls, as the bloated smell of gassy decay rushes out at me, the corpse opens its eyes, its rotting hands black and slimy with some fungoid growth. And that's where I stopped my quote because <laughs> that was enough to, enough to make me wretch. Yeah, th this was exactly my yucking it up as well. You know, for a showdown at the end of a Stephen King novel, there wasn't a whole lot, right? It's metal on metal, basically. A, mm -hmm. a big tanker truck smashing up against a, a Plymouth Fury. And this dream that Dennis has actually occurs in the epilogue. And I had been like, oh, am I going to have a yucking it up? And then sure enough, there it is in the last couple pages. Mm -hmm. Very creepy. Very yucky. Very yucky it is. All right. Well, we want to thank our patrons for supporting the show and getting access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes, including this month's podcast episode will be on the movie Christine. So we'll be able to compare and contrast the book and the movie. Oh, I can't wait to watch and talk about that movie with you, Sean. Yes, it's going to be a good time. And we're going to have three new gunslingers aboard to listen to that bonus podcast episode. Who are those folks, Jay? Yeah, we'd like to thank our three latest patrons, Gabby Gail M, Kathy P, and Jordan O, who all joined at the gunslinger level, as you just mentioned. That is awesome. Thank you for supporting our show and spreading the word about the podcast. We appreciate it. All right. I think it's time for some fun stuff. Oh, it sure is. You want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off with a pretty simple one. It's in the hospital where Dennis is recovering and he looks up and he says, there was a man I had never seen before sitting to the left of my bed reading a paperback John D. McDonald story. So once again, the callouts in between Stephen King and John McDonald continue. Nice. At a at a heavy pace. I think I think three of the books I read by John McDonald mentioned Stephen King, and now we're back here again. So nice to see it continue. Yeah, as soon as I read that, I said, Sean's going to be talking <laughs> about this in the next episode. Yep. My first fun stuff item is the word bolt fuckers. I personally have never heard this expression for a socket wrench set before, but man. It, it it makes sense it once I once I heard it. Bolt fuckers, okay, you know it. That set of bolt fuckers was worth a hundred dollars. That is a good one. I like it. 
just because it's been in the news so much lately, I was thinking about inflation. And there's this moment where there's a nice little brother and sister bonding between Dennis and his sister. And he's overly protected of her because he's worried that Christine's going to come out and run her over. So he drives her down to the convenience store and he gives her a buck and says, get us each a yodel and a Coke. And I'm like, oh, must be nice to get two Cokes and a... And two yodels. Two yodels. Yodels are... Are they like hostess cakes or yodels drinks? It'd be like a pastry. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like a ding dong or a ho-ho or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a buck. And and he's worried about getting change back because he says, don't spend the change in the asteroids machine. Man. Yeah. Wait, I don't think video games were ever less than 25 cents. Not that I recall. So that means he's getting all of that food, the two pastries and the two drinks for less than 75 cents. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. Less expensive times. Maybe not better. But less expensive. <laughs> well, maybe better too. That's debatable. What was the last time you got to play Asteroids in a convenience store? Never. Yeah, right. So it was definitely better then, man. I'm trying to remember the last time I went into a convenience store. Oh, well, there you go. I wanted to call out that Petunia in all of her hot pink glory is a caca sucker, <laughs> which is a far better name for a septic truck than just septic tanker. Yeah. The caca sucker. Even better is when. <laughs> When Dennis tries to pull like an Arnold Schwarzenegger line about it, and the the guy the guy he's running the truck from says, "Well, what's the truck for?" And Dennis says, "Just what it was meant for." The guy's like, "What? Begging your pardon?" Then Dennis says, "I want to get rid of some shit." I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Pulls off the sunglasses and yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I would read a sequel to Christine called Petunia. In which there's, I could see the poster already. It just says Petunia, and then there's this big pink septic truck, and then the tagline on the bottom is, I want to get rid of some shit. And there you go. (laughs) Or time to get rid of some shit. Come on, King, get on that. (laughs) Knock that off in a weekend. Haunted by the ghost of Dennis Gilder. It just does favors for people. <laughs> just get re- just does light. <laughs> it light. wins football games. It's weird. Does light housework. <laughs> Drives sisters to the convenience store to pick up drinks and play video games. Yeah. One more is that King ends the book with the word fury, and I did a count, and that this is the twentieth time the word is used in the book, not counting the name of the car. Mm. If you count. Plymouth Fury, or just capital F Fury for the car, then it goes up to nearly 50 times. Okay. But just as the noun representing the emotion, it's used 20 times, and the very last word of the book is Fury. Very nice. I noticed that when Dennis starts to tell the story to the cop about what happened, he uses the same sentences that he did to start off the story where he says, like, it started off as a love triangle, blah, 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 blah. And, and it's almost identical, except for a semicolon in place of a comma. But other than that, it's almost identical. Man, Dennis is so inconsistent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think all this goes to show that King is very thoughtful about language. And there's a reason that he chose a Plymouth Fury as opposed to something else and sprinkling it throughout the novel and setting up that yeah that tidy. Other than that whole piece where he forgot who the narrator was in the middle section. <laughs> Everything else was very planned well. Yeah. And uh, the final fun stuff item I wanted to call out here is the direct reference to Mr. Rogers, who is a Pittsburgh native son and local hero, and let's face it, national hero. Absolutely. And 
it's when Dennis is trying to convince Michael Cunningham to avoid Christine and get the other family members out of danger. He feels like he's talking to him as, as Mr. Rogers would talk <laughs> to a child. He's like, oh, can you say, Christine, I knew you could. And of course, Mr. Cunningham does not listen. Nope. And gets dragged around by Christine in what possibly could have been another yucking it up moment. Yeah. All right, let's do our wrap up of this book. On Library Thing, this has a ranking amongst readers of a 3.54 stars out of five. And on Goodreads, it's 3.81. So not the highest of rankings. Um, a couple reviews. Booklist said that King is less convoluted here than usual, and he has tempered his palpable terrors with a dusting of humor and some on-target portrayals of adolescence and the teenage experience, all things that we noted early on. And while the death car is hardly a new device in supernatural fiction, King exploits it extremely well. And Christine is a prime example of his talent of generating realism in the face of the ridiculous. Yeah, yep, I, I would say that's a generally positive review, but hits on some things there about it being ridiculous. Yeah. Kirkus took a slightly different view, saying nothing new horror-wise and much too long. But King's blend of adolescent raunch, all-American sentiment, and unsubtle spookery has never since Carrie been more popcorn-readable, with immense appeal for all those fans interested in the 522-page equivalent of a drive-in horror movie. So the New York Times says, this time Stephen King has gone too far. I said to myself, as I began to catch the drift of this eighth and latest horror novel, Christine, this time it's not going to get me the way it did in The Shining, The Stand, Cujo, and his other maniacal stories. This time he's just going to leave me cold. For a while I was right, and yet Mr. King eventually gets to you with his snarling murderous monster on wheels. Not that Christine ever achieves the sustained horror of the author's best previous work, but there's an impressively ominous quality to the scenes in which the beast prepares to attack. So, kind of liked it? Yeah, I think they did. I think they weren't expecting to like it as much as, as they did. And there's a part that's not in that quote that you had where he goes on and on about the things that are sort of ridiculous in the book and say, this, mm -hmm. is, this is why I wasn't going to like it. This is why I wasn't going to like it. And then he's like, yeah, I did like it after all. Washington Post, though, uh, not so much. Had King chosen to tell Christine's tale in 300 pages or so, he might have come up with a taut, entertaining horror story. But there is nothing taught about Christine. It's a great blob of a book that reaches its surprisingly unsurprising conclusion at a maddeningly leisurely discursive pace. In Christine, at least, he is not enough of a craftsman to make the novel's length anything except, well, long. And what that means is not entertainment, but exhaustion. King's prose, competent but melodramatic and heavily weighted with foreshadowing. Considering he is the author of what is said to be an authoritative pronunciamento on horror fiction, King himself can be surprisingly maladroit at it, especially when it comes to tipping his hand. Worse than that, in Christine, he commits the horror novelist cardinal sin. He is boring. So there's some stuff in there I agree with. Like, I do think that it could have been slimmed down some. Like pronunciamento? Yeah, and I was like, uh, I think King is better than competent and melodramatic in his prose. I agree with that for sure, yeah. I don't think this book is boring by any means. It's long, but I flipped through it pretty quick, and I kept wanting to know what happened next, so. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into our final thoughts. Yeah, so I'll go first, Jake, because I want to leave our listeners on a, a positive note about this book. I like this book. I did not like it as much as I remember liking it when I was younger. It was a good read, but if I took any sort of time to stop and analyze it, I think that it started to fall apart for me. 
and it was sort of like a Big Mac for me. Like it's great in the moment, but sort of forgettable in the long run. And you know, it's good. It just I, I do think that maybe King could have tightened this up. And I think if he had a chance to go through and do another edit, this could be a really good book. I will start by saying that I really like this book. This is the book that started it all for me. This is my first King book. It started me on my journey, but this book isn't perfect. I think I agree with a lot of the negative comments that these reviews had, which is that the book is just a little too lengthy and that if King had tightened it up, but not just not just edit out some fluff, but actually tighten up the plot, mm. clean up the whole supernatural element, the why of it, and maybe take out a couple of the lengthy scenes that just seem to go on. You probably could end up with a 300-page book that is just like nonstop action and nonstop fun without ever leaving you scratching your head like, why is this here and why do I care? So I acknowledge that the book isn't perfect, but it's a lot of fun, and it has many highs that more than make up for any lows. I'd probably read it again in another 20 years. <laughs> well, I hope you all enjoyed reading along with us. Yeah. Because it was fun, and there was a lot to dig into and talk about. All right, let's talk about some other worlds than these. I'll go first. I have just finished watching peacemaker mm. on hbo max heard of it it is a lot of fun if you like james gunn's marvel movies and you like his version of the suicide squad movie this is a direct continuation in some ways of the suicide squad movie and it's it's fun it's like a empty calorie popcorn show it's not really deep not really going to challenge you in any way but it's fun it tends to lean into juvenile senses of humor. Which, no problem for you and I on that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is why it's a laugh riot for me. And it's also like ultra-violent, like to the point of comedy. It, it's, you know, blood splatters and gallons of goop and things like that. Like I said, if you liked Suicide Squad, you'll definitely like this. I, in fact, I think it's kind of better than Suicide Squad because mm. there's more room for character development and a slightly more subtle plot. Cool. So if you are interested, check out Peacemaker. It's on HBO Max. My Other Worlds in These is also on HBO Max. The Last Duel, directed by Ridley Scott, came out in 2021. And it is a Rashomon-like tale of a pair of knights in the 14th century, one played by Matt Damon, who is a knight who's really sort of down on his luck, um, but he marries into a family. And he tells the story of the slights he receives from a squire played by Adam Driver. Um, Ridley Scott's a great director. I like most of the stuff that he directs. And I am a huge Adam Driver fan. I've not been disappointed in, I don't think, anything that he's been in. Like, he's just got this odd charisma. I think he's a really good actor. And oddly enough, one of the best characters in the movie is played by Ben Affleck, who I never would have guessed. He plays this, this lord who... Both men sort of have to abide by his rules, and he, he sort of eats up some scenery and, and is really good. Hmm. Anyhow, if you get a chance, check it out, The Last Duel on HBO Max. It is definitely on my list. Well, that does it for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media are available in the show notes. Check out our merch at store.twoguystothedarktowercame.com. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. 
next episode. Join us as we begin our coverage of The Shining. The Shining? Hot damn. Yeah. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McCurr. Thanks for listening. That's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Dot. <laughs> that gets us excited to watch The Shining. Or not The Shining. Watch The Christine. Watch The Christine. <laughs> On the internets. Make sure I watch the one about the car and not the one about the reporter. There's a movie that came out a few years ago called Christine. That's not about a killer car. Is it about a killer reporter? I think she gets killed. By a car? Now that would be something, <laughs> wouldn't it? It's nice to just get regular cold or flu, right? I guess. I mean, it's not as nice to just be healthy. <laughs> Turns out being healthy is better. Yeah. Healthy is better. <laughs> Sometimes no fever is better. Sometimes being healthy is good. The ground's sweet. <laughs> Pepperidge Farms remembers. <laughs> 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 <laughs>